You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. I'm your host, Brandon, and this is episode 34. Daniela's not with us again today, but there are a couple special guests, Alex Hosvin and Kevin Farley of Culture Pickle Shop. Hi. 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 Thanks for uh, joining me today. You're uh, so just, uh, I'm, I'm going to let you kind of do more of the description of, of kind of what you do, but, um, but you're, you have a shop out in Berkeley, California, and, uh, it's called the cultured pickle shop is what, what exactly do you, do you do in the shop? We do so many things in this shop, always evolving, always expanding. We initially started out our, uh, sort of cultured vegetable business concentrating on sauerkraut, and that still is the bulk of our shop's production. We do nine different types of sauerkraut, and we distribute those throughout Northern California, mostly focused in the Bay Area. But ever since we were fortunate enough to come across a really great space that's all our space and that we don't share with anybody else, and that's been about seven years now, we've vastly expanded the the line of products that we do so we culture a really wide range of vegetables, depending seasonally, all sorts of roots and fruits and seeds and flowers, mostly lactic acid fermentation. Um, but then we also do a line of traditional Japanese pickles, and we do a line of kombucha as well. And so do you get uh, with the name Cultured Pickle? Um, are how how responsive are people locally to to that? Do are they thinking cucumber pickles, or are most people out in the California Northern California region pretty familiar with uh, fermentation? I, I would say that we live uh, in, in a great area for for what we do. We have a a, a pretty uh, educated uh, uh, and food savvy uh, population. Having said that. Um, it, it 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 regularly happens that we have a customer uh, come in, look at the uh, the the case, the retail case that we have at the front of the shop, where say fifty different uh, pickles w- will be for sale that day. Uh, they'll stare at the case for a few minutes and then look over at us and ask us where the pickles are. Okay, so so it's inevitable to a certain extent, but um, but in general, it sounds. You say so. Would would you say Northern California is kind of ahead of the curve and 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 uh, is already kind of has is is highly educated? I mean, I, I would say that's accurate. Okay, yeah, especially especially you know Berkeley and the East Bay, um, and the Bay Area in general. I think is 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 pretty food savvy. Yeah, for, for certainly you know we've seen an explosion of interest over the last uh, five years or so, um, you know, especially since uh, uh, Sandor's books have come out and he's, you know, done such a great job of, of um, uh, you know, going around the country and, and educating uh, people on fermented foods. Um, but we've uh, been in business now for uh, 17 years and we've been able to make a living out of it here in the Bay Area and that's largely because of how educated the population is here. So you would say even 17 years ago that it was accepted what you were doing and, and people well, responded well? Also 17 years ago, there was no one else doing this at all. I mean, very the, the explosion in interest has also spurred an explosion in people trying to make a living off of it. Um, but when we first started, if you wanted cultured vegetables – we were one of very few options out there. So we have been able to make this our life for almost two decades. And, and well, I guess thinking about, so you're talking about not only the explosion of uh, awareness, but also of other businesses like uh, yours or, or making products similar. Uh, it, do you find that there is a lot of competition or since you have been around for so long, is it really not any yeah, different I, for you? I really, try not to think of it in terms of, of competition. Um, <clears throat> I would rather really focus on what it is we do and expanding and refining and always bettering our our product line. I think because there is such an explosion in interest, 
that there's, you know, there's room for a lot of different companies and hopefully doing, you know, going in different directions and not all copying each other, which I think is not as interesting. And, and I think because we've been doing it so long, we have a really broad and interesting product line. And at this point, we keep ourselves busy and keep our staff busy making products all the time and seem to not have a problem moving them out the door. So I try not to analyze competition. I think that would drive me a little batty. Sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally understandable and fair. I just, um, I mean, I guess it's, it's understandable where all these other places are coming from. What's kind of inspiring this with, uh, this big move towards fermentation and just food awareness in general, but back when you were starting 17 years ago, was that when you first started fermenting or what kind of inspired the pickle shop slash inspired just fermentation in general for you? Sure. Um, we actually started fermenting, uh, a number of years before we started the business. Uh, Alex and I met, uh, working on a farm about four hours North of San Francisco, about an hour off of the grid. Um, and at the time, we were uh, uh, we had a um, a diet that was uh, really heavily influenced by uh, the writings of uh, uh, Mikio and Evelyn Cushy, uh, macrobiotics, which which was a very um, plant heavy uh, whole grains uh, with a with a huge Japanese influence, and um, miso was uh, a staple in, in our uh, in our diet at the time and um, partly because we lived uh, so far away from the nearest store uh, partly because uh, just a, a curiosity and a desire to sort of make everything from scratch uh, Alex and I uh, decided to to attempt to make our own miso and we were really fortunate in that we lived not too far away uh, from Gem Cultures. And Gem Cultures uh, is a business that sells uh, starter cultures for various fermented products. And um, at the time, and, and I, I believe they still are, the only distributors of aspergillus spores for making uh, koji. Koji is... Uh, the fermenting agent used uh, to make miso, soy sauce, and sake. It's essentially rice that's been inoculated with this uh, certain mold, aspergillus. Um, so we uh, got our hands on uh, some aspergillus spores, and we started making our own koji and uh, started making our own misos. Uh, and various other um, uh, products that you can make with uh, with koji, and that was really the beginning of our um, uh, of our experiments and our and our life with fermentation. In fact, initially when we started the business, uh, we we started it as a miso company. Okay, and are you still doing miso now? No. Um, okay. We we stopped doing miso. I'm going to say about eight years ago, uh, maybe that. maybe ten years ago. Um, what we found was that uh, because miso is typically such a long fermented product, um, that that you know you have to have a, a fair amount of space uh, to do uh, the kind of volume. Uh, to carry you from one batch uh, to the next. Um, and that people were purchasing a tub of miso, you know, say every uh, four to six months, uh, whereas they were buying two jars of sauerkraut a week. So uh, uh, really it just was a, at the end sort of an economic decision. It, it was a great product that we, we really loved making, and I, and I really miss making it. Do you make it? I guess that's something else. I mean, do you make any products that you don't sell in your business that you ferment uh, outside of work, or are you pretty much full, no time left to ferment anything else? Yeah, no, we we still have. Uh, well, both at work, we'll have you know really sort of small micro projects that we'll do just for 
for fun. I mean, possibly for sort of R and D, but at home, we'll we'll do some things here and there. But not so much. Not not as much as we used to. Uh, you know, like um, I think the home projects were R and D for a while, and uh, as we started incorporating more and more of those. Uh, uh, those projects into products uh, that we started doing at the shop. Um, we had less and less time really uh, to do uh, projects at home. Yeah. That- doing home fermentation projects at this point, it's not like the most, you know, it's not what I jump out of bed wanting to do on a Sunday. Sure. You know? uh, under- Alex- understandable. Alex and I typically spend about 16 hours at the shop every day. Uh, and we and we have two teenage boys and a home, so uh, you know when we come when we come home, uh, we're pretty well fermented out. That is that is completely understandable, and um, I guess is a little bit of a tangent too, since you mentioned uh, your two teenage boys. Are do they enjoy uh, ferments? Having grown up in this, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it complicated question do they enjoy maybe is the operative word um they will tolerate often i um i one of them actually thinks what we do is is really really cool even though it's not sort of what he reaches for in the fridge and it's not where his you know taste buds tend to go i think he thinks what we do is pretty fascinating and and has a lot of pride over what we do and our younger son at this moment, who's going through some um, adolescent rebellion, just thinks that we're weird and gross. And that, and that what we do is really smelly. <laughs> okay. Well, our older one, he's really proud, and he, uh, he, he tells everybody at school, you know, this is what my parents do. And he brings products to class to share. Um, our younger one told us that when kids at, at school ask him what uh, his parents do for a living, he, he tells them that we're in prison. Oh. <laughs> okay then uh so yeah he uh he has some strong feelings about this stuff at this he point he has some strong feelings about it you know it's uh the the shop having a business having our business constructing the business the way that we have decided to as as truly in an art an artisan business um means that it's at the end of the day it's really more of a lifestyle choice than a career choice and um what that's meant for our family is that uh you know the kids were uh on our backs you know uh, from infant through through toddlers um you know at the shop for for long hours the 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 lines between home life and work life are are very blurred um uh, we don't really have a full weekend as a family, and and we have uh, very very little to no vacation time, and sometimes that's um, that can be pretty difficult on the kids. Sure, that's understandable, and it sounds like if he goes in any other direction of of your older son, that he'll come around eventually. Yeah, you think maybe yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. We'll say. I think so. And, you know, and there's and there's some you know tremendous tremendous benefits to it too. You know, we our our shop is just a few minutes away from our home, and uh, so we can you know we can go back and forth throughout the day. Um, you know, the the kids you know have a real um, a real sense of 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 you know sort of where the family dollar comes from. You know that it's not just this abstract you know this abstract place that mom and dad go to and a, and a paycheck shows up every couple of weeks you know they they have uh, they're very tied into to sort of how our family economy works and and i think in the end that can only be a benefit to them definitely and well and now going back to the question about asking do you ferment anything at home i mean it kind of sounds like home and work are kind of all intertwined that i mean you're always fermenting at home to a certain extent in one yes. way or another Yes, I would say that's true. So, so then how do you, I mean, with 16 hours on most days, that answers a bit of it, I can kind of imagine, but how do you manage all of these these ferments on the artisanal level uh, with the, the many different kinds that you do 
So. Ah. Uh, um, <laughs> let's see. I have a lot of logs, a lot of notebooks, a lot of logs. Um, but really a lot of that's in, in my own head as well. I tend to manage more of the production and of the business. You know, we've been doing it so long that a lot of it is pretty routinized as far as management. Um, most, some things are a little easier to schedule. In general, the crowds are on a pretty consistent rotation as far as when they're made and when they're packaged and when they're sold. Those are a little easier to sort of manage. Some of the other vegetable ferments we do, and, and really I like to think that, that everything we do to some extent, that, that they sort of make the schedule, that, that you are sort of a, a careful observer of the process. And when they're ready to, say, be slowed down by either you know, being bottled or refrigerated, that that's what you do. That really, instead of sort of making a schedule that fits your needs, you make the products that you do. And when they're at a certain stage, then you, you say, slow them down when they're sort of at their optimal level. I like to say that what we do is, is less product and more process so that, that it's not a stagnant product, that you are capturing it hopefully at the most delightful and vibrant stage in order to eat it at that point. And, and then you're, you know, you're trying to bring it to the consumer as, as fast as possible. That, you know, sometimes works better than others. Sometimes things just aren't quite right and they go down the drain or sometimes, you know, there's, there's all sorts of, um, of intricacies and, and, and difficulties with it. But, but I think part of managing the range of what we do is paying close attention to what you're doing. And it just, I just know from my own personal experience of, of doing a lot of different kinds of ferments, it's sometimes, you know, I'll lose track. I'm not doing it on a business side of things. So I guess logging and different things do make a difference. And, and you're also have your, uh, I saw in one, uh, a video that was linked from your, your website. Uh, are you referring to it as your fermentation cave that altered, yeah. uh, walk-in? Uh-huh. Um, how many, how much can you fit in there or how many things do you have fermenting in your cave at the same time? Um, usually as far as what ferments in the cave, there's mm, probably about 75 to a hundred different ecosystems going on in the cave at any one time. So in general, the cave gets a very thorough walkthrough once a day and some things, you know, but not everything gets a deep look at every day. Um, things are generally on a schedule as far as it's, you know, it was made on this date and in a week it should get pushed down and in two weeks it should get tried and in three weeks it should be looked at again and on this. So everything's on a pretty consistent rotation. And what, what, what Alex means by push down is, um, and, and I think it, uh, it's, it's sort of good to, to sort of look at it just in terms of the sauerkraut since sauerkraut is really the bulk of what it's fermenting in the cave. And we ferment in uh, uh, 100 liter, for the most part, 100 liter stainless steel, uh, variable capacity wine fermenting tanks. And uh, what the variable capacity part of that means is that essentially they have a floating lid that fits within the tank and, uh, and, and, and can move up and down. Um, uh, allowing you to, to fill it uh, to, to different levels. Um, and what we do when we'll make the sauerkraut is we'll, uh, we'll, we'll shred and salt the cabbage in the morning, and we will allow the, the, um, uh, the, cabbage to, the salted cabbage to sweat all day. And the, the salt will draw the moisture out of the cabbage and uh, uh, creating a, a brine of the cabbage own, own juice. And then uh, the, the salted, sweated cabbage will go into uh, one of these tanks and the uh, lid will go on. Uh, it will get pressed down until the brine covers the top um, and it will be um, weighted or, uh, in our case, 
um, these lids have an inflatable bladder that uh, goes around the outside of the lid that you inflate that uh, holds the uh, the lid in place. Um, the, during the the first week, uh, especially uh, of, of fermentation, there's a lot of carbon dioxide that's produced. Um, and so after the first five uh, days or so of, of fermentation, we'll uh, dismantle that, that lid system and we'll actually get our hands into the ferment and, and physically press down uh, the, the, the fermenting cabbage to try to force as much uh, CO2 out of there as possible uh, and then reassemble the lid um uh, and and then let it go on from there and we'll do that again uh usually in like the third or fourth week now this pushing down it's uh i'm trying to think of it too so when you're dealing with that large of a batch is the importance of pushing down and, and getting all the co2 out of there so that you don't have any uh pockets of i guess microclimates of sorts or is there are there other aspects to the pushing down yeah, I mean, the, the biggest part of pushing down is in the creation of as anaerobic an environment as you possibly can get. So it is, you know, as that CO2 builds up, you know, you're, you're going to just have a lot of, of expansion. And so it is sort of a constant pushing that air out and making sure that your brine is, is properly covering your entire ferment. Okay. And, and these stainless steel wine tanks that you're talking about, um, is that something that you just had to come up with? Uh, because there really aren't sauerkraut fermentation yeah, tanks? We started scaling up, you know, when we first started commercially doing the sauerkraut, we fermented everything in five gallon ceramic crocks that covered pallets in our house and shelving units all over the place. And when you start to think about scaling up from that, really you're looking, most people who tend to scale up from that go towards plastic. Okay. Um, you know, easy to clean and cheap, but it wasn't where we wanted to go. Um, you know, there's not a lot of options. Wood's not so good of an option, and ceramic is just far too heavy. So we started looking at, at stainless steel and, and actually are, are super happy with that. That's awesome. And then with the, uh, with, with the sauerkraut, do you, I'm assuming, do many different kinds of sauerkraut? It's not just a salt and cabbage we do, do you, not um do you uh what kinds of uh different forms does it take and do they have different processors or just different seasoning or flavoring yeah the sauerkraut is is pretty standard as far as process and to be a kraut and sort of our definition of it it is the majority cabbage so there are some that are really all cabbage as far as the the vegetable matter in there with various herbs and spices um, you know, one of them will have a caraway and a juniper. One of them will have, um, say, some various more Indian-flavored herbs. And then there's some that we do that will have other vegetables as well as the cabbage. So one that has beets, carrots, and ginger. One that has burdock and gold beets. One that has some blue-green algaes. Um, so we try to have something for everyone. I, and then going a little bit outside of uh, sour, like going in a different direction with the nuka uh, pots and the the rice bran fermentation. Um, that do you do you actively uh, produce those regularly as well, or are they a subset or more that R and D side of things? Uh, so we do two types of of rice bran uh, pickles at the shop. We uh, we have a uh, a, a nuka pot. Um, which we've maintained for the last five years. Um, and we do a rice bran pickle called Takwan. Takwan is a uh, air-dried daikon uh, that's fermented in rice bran uh, anywhere between four and uh, ten months. Um, and the, uh, the Nuka pot, we... There's there's not a, lo a huge market for nuka pickles, uh, and um, we Alex and I we get a lot more uh, pleasure out of making the products than we do really out of selling the products, um, 
and we're a little sort of lackluster on on the uh, the marketing side of our business. We don't do a lot of like uh, outreach uh, to customers. We don't we don't get out there and try to to, to preach the, you know the the good word and uh, and turn people on to what we do. So we sort of just uh, kind of uh, approach the the sales end of things in a very casual way. Um, the the Nuka pickles that we do make are available um, at the shop. Uh, or at the uh, the farmers markets, and um, because there's just not a huge demand for them, or we we tend to to do them about once a week. Uh, a nuka pickle typically takes about two days to ferment in a nuka pot. Uh, we have uh, some customers at the Saturday market in Berkeley that purchase uh, everything that we make that week. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll start them on uh, Wednesday or Thursday uh, for the for the Saturday market. Um, and that's that's really the extent of the, the nuka pickling that we do. Although the, the pot d- does take daily maintenance, um, and then the uh, the taquan, uh, we used to do the taquan just really uh, you know, for the love of, of of doing it. We'd we'd make a five gallon batch. It would you know again take four to ten months to ferment. We'd jar it up. Uh, in, in 12 ounce jars, we'd maybe get 12 to 15 jars. Um, we'd sell maybe one a month, uh, and we'd have so what a, f- a five gallon uh, a five gallon batch would would last us about a year. Um, I think the last batch of Taquan that we did uh, we sold out in about two weeks. So it's definitely a lot uh, more popular now. Would you say? Yeah, this uh, you know this goes back to the um, you know the sort of enormous rise in 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 popularity and and in um, um, you know not knowledge that people have about fermented products and the interest that people have in, on fermented products. We we see a lot more people coming into the shop uh, to to buy things. We we didn't really initially set up the shop as a retail shop. It was, we called it the cultured pickle shop. Um, uh, and we meant it as, as our workshop, like, uh, you know, our atelier. Um, and we, we realized after being in there for a few months that, you know, we, we had street, uh, you know, a door to the street and, uh, you know, we could put in a little, uh, uh, retail, uh, re- refrigerator case, and we could sell things out of there incidentally. Um, and so, you know, we'd have a few people maybe uh, stop in. We'd let people at the farmers market know they could come in and buy things at the shop and see where the things were made. Um, and uh, and that was really it. And you know, more and more and more, uh, especially again over the last uh, three or so years, where. We're seeing a huge rise in in, in uh, customers w- walking into the shop to purchase things. So when someone does walk into the shop, are they so it it, it I'm trying to imagine it is it so it, it is more production. Um, are I mean, are you so busy that you have a like a, a staffed person to just help the customers, or are they coming in and and seeing you with your production, and then you're 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 helping them when they do come in, or or I guess what's the flow for a customer coming in? Yeah, we, we don't have a full-time, you know, uh, front-of-shop staffer. But on any given day, there's usually three or four of us there. And, um, you know, they can def- someone can drop what they're doing and, and help someone. I, I think it's a really invaluable, fabulous thing that people can come to a place where their food is made and watch it being made and, and feel comfortable there and know that they're welcome there. I think that's super important. Um, I, I wouldn't want that any other way. Definitely. Um, in, in regard to, um, you know, all of this awareness of, of people, you know, what, uh, do you find that most people are just interested in the fermentation side of things, uh, for the food aspect of it or for health reasons or are people kind of coming in for different reasons? Because I saw on your, your website that you, in, in your frequently asked uh, question section that you, uh, you emphasize that what you make is food. Uh, right. Could we you, do. Uh, yeah, we, we, you know, people come in for a really wide variety of reasons. And I, and I, I always welcome that they're there. They might come there for different reasons. They might come there because they're 
acupuncturist sent them there and they might look at the case and be totally confused and really only be in- interested in, you know, how many thousands of this per teaspoon are there. But I, I do think that once you start to bring fermented foods into your diet and and once they start to become a regular part of your life, that you do begin to to crave and appreciate and take delight in them, or or so I hope. So, um, you know, people come in for a variety of reasons, and and most people tend to keep coming back over and over again. That's awesome. So, uh, so people are acknowledging that the the food aspect of it and that that craving, as you're calling it, is that's definitely what it is for me. Um, yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we're definitely that, that you know that's changing quite a bit too. And in, in the beginning, I think it, it was primarily uh, considered a health food. You know, we uh, the stores that we sell to are primarily health food stores, natural food stores uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, Whole Foods uh, for sure, but then you know, independent sort of mom and pop natural food stores. Uh, we're in a few uh, uh, gourmet. Uh, shops, but it's, you know, it's a refrigerated uh, and unpasteurized and, and refrigerated product. And uh, a lot of uh, the the sort of more gourmet uh, kind of um, uh, shops, they dedicate their, their cold uh, case uh, space to uh, prepared foods uh, and, uh, you know, meats and, and, and cheeses um, and they tend to stock, you know, more, uh, you know, canned, uh, pasteurized pickles, you know, shelf stable uh, on their uh, on their shelves in the store. So, um, you know, we, we still find that 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 natural food stores tend to be um, more receptive to the products and more receptive to dedicating cooler space to the products. Okay, so it it. Uh it sounds like health and, and fermentation really just do go hand in hand. And so it, wherever a person starts, um, they find you at some point and then they start experimenting. Do you find that a lot of people experiment with the different things you have, or do they come in for one kind of thing, um, and stick with, with that? Or is it, that, is that an oversimplification of your yeah, customer because, base? I mean, it's because I think our retail fridge is so, diverse and colorful and interesting and always changing. Um, even though some people might come in and only go for one thing the first time, eventually people I think start to branch out because, you know, I I feel like my job as sort of the production manager of our shop is keeping that front retail fridge as vibrant and interesting and diverse and inviting and exciting as possible. And and with making it as vibrant and as exciting, I mean, how do you do? You, like looking at your um, your wonderful blog that you started up relatively recently, uh, it's been a, it's been a great thing to kind of follow along on and say some of the examples of some of the things you experiment with, uh, say the pumpkin and winter squash experimentation. Uh, could you elaborate on, on that or a different kind of experiment and like where, where are those kind of things? Is that more research and development at that stage? Um, or are those things also turning into the, the products that you're, you're putting, um, uh, in the shop? As far as the winter squash things, I would say those things by now, several years into doing them are, are pretty stable products that we have. And, and some things, mm, some things are staple shop products that we will pretty much always stock. And some things, you know, like, a, and I guess the winter squash products being a good example of this are always still going to be maybe sort of tweaked a little bit every, every year and sort of trying to maybe find, you know, exactly the, the combination and the type of winter squash and of what we want to, what we want to be doing with it. I think last year we probably made, Oh, I'm going to say maybe half a dozen different winter squash pickles, ranging from, say, we did a, a really beautiful butternut and wheat lacoche kimchi, which was one of my favorite things we did, um, to say we also did like a shredded pumpkin and rutabaga pickle um, with some green garlic and some Meyer lemon zest. Um, and so those were both like first, well, you know, first time off 
products, but I would certainly do them again this year. Well, and looking at one other thing that you, uh, you appear to experiment with or have at least a lot of selection on flavors is, is, is kombucha. Um, do you, um, because it seems like most of your things are all, all vegetable based. So kombucha is kind of the, the separate odd one out. Um, what got you into the kombucha side of things or, or was that back when you were doing miso, you were doing kombucha as well? Uh, the very first kombucha culture we ever got was probably around when we were doing miso. Um, I think we came across a, a bottle of it at a health food store and I had never seen it before and was immediately fascinated by it. And, and we're bringing it at home for a little while, but, but stay pretty rigid with it. I mean, when you, when you look at a lot of sort of kombucha instructions, most of them are extremely sort of black tea, white sugar base, you know, must do this way. Yes. And at, at that point I didn't, I think, feel the, the familiar comfort that I do now with fermented foods. And so after a while, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is kind of boring. Not so into it anymore. Um, we picked it back up about, oh, probably what, seven, about when we about moved when into the shop, food. really. Um, and actually, the I think the reason, what appealed to me about doing it as a product is I, I liked the idea of doing a vegetable soda a naturally fermented vegetable soda. I thought that that was just like fabulous and, and, and not really done. And I liked sort of the play on the word soda because traditionally sodas were mildly fermented beverages, you know, certainly not what they are today. And our original kombucha line that we did were, were all vegetables. We did a, a celery, a beet, a fennel and a carrot. And it has, I think in in the time of, of playing with the culture and just becoming so enamored with its possibilities uh, evolved into to much more than that. What's your, would you say your favorite kombucha blend or however you recipe right now or, or customers most popular? Right, right now, like right now what we R- have right now. What, it, what, it, what is it? <laughs> oh goodness. Um, I'm so it, it's such a hard question for me because I you know at any given moment I would want to have at least ten different options. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Yesterday, my favorite kombucha that I drank was a, a honeydew basil, which was a kombucha that was brewed on a fresh basil tea. And at the bottling, we added the juice of honeydew melon and let the sugars from that melon create the the carbonation in the secondary fermentation. And it's pale green and well-rounded and has beautiful body and it's just a delightful beverage right now we uh you know melon season is really great for the for the kombucha of uh flavor possibilities uh we do a um uh, besides the honeydew basil we do a uh, a watermelon uh a watermelon jalapeno uh which people uh just love uh we do a watermelon mint uh, which customers love, um, uh, of course, with uh, you know in the in the uh, the late spring through the the summer we have strawberries. Uh, we do a strawberry oregano uh, kombucha brewed on a oregano tea that we add strawberry juice to. We do a strawberry basil uh, that that customers really uh, really respond to. Wow, you're inspiring me to try all kinds of different kombuchas now. Then uh, that's great. It's all about inspiration. And um, well, and I, I mean, because I would say that I would just drink your kombucha, but as far as I understand, um, you don't do any kind of shipping of products. It's all local. Is there any kind of moral, philosophical, or just logistical kind of reasons as as to why uh, you've chosen to keep your business that way? All of the above. Okay. Fortunately, they coalesce in a good way in this one. We did, uh, we did uh, try our hands at, at shipping product for for a while. We we thought that we 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 wanted to have a little bit more of a, a national presence. Um, should we ever, I don't know, decide to buy it to to write a book um, or um, 
you know, so that we could uh, sort of enter more fully into this national conversation, this really global conversation that's going on uh, right now about fermentation as it's sort of seeing a renaissance. Um, and so we, we did ship for, for a while. It, it, it began to feel ridiculous, um, uh, not you know, not only because of the, the, you know, the, the ridiculous carbon footprint of, you know, taking this, you know, one 16 ounce jar of, of, uh, of kimchi and having, you know, a, a truck driver pick it up at our front door and drive it to a facility and then, you know, air freight it, uh, second day air to, you know, some, uh, hub in, uh, you know, Tennessee and then having it, you know, driven, uh, you know, hours, you know, away from there that it, that it just, it, it felt uh, that started to, to feel really creepy. Um, but also we, uh, we really don't have a problem selling our products. We, you know, we were, I guess, in a very sort of fortunate predicament of, uh, you know, having demand for our products really, uh, sort of outstrip our uh, ability to supply it. So um, it, it was. It was really when we looked at it, you know, silly and and unnecessary to to package up the products and ship them across the country. And on top of that, some of the products don't ship so well. And kombucha is definitely a product that does not ship so well. Sure, that one that one makes sense a lot. Um, well, and then in regard to it, you you really do you have all the business you need right locally? I mean, does that, do you uh, have feelings on how artisanal you could remain if you were to expand or are you really happy with where you are given everything that you've said previous? Um, where do you see the future of, of culture pickle shop? Yeah, I see us as, as ever expanding, always expanding. We have expanded every single year and whether that and, and numerically as well. I mean, every year we do sell more than we did the year before. Some years, you know, not a huge amount more, but but always always in in that forward direction and and always sort of building on the knowledge that we that we have. So, I don't really see you know, the business as either stagnant or expanding um we are ever expanding um but still remaining extremely artisanal there's definitely uh, you know a bit of a philosophy of you know how small can we stay rather than how large can we get sure and, and by by that you know i i don't mean you know that we you know that we're going to hit some sort of a plateau sales wise and say that's that's enough you know there's uh, um you know, I right now we distribute um, about uh, in about a two-hour radius uh, of the, of the shop, um, and you know there's there's just such an enormous uh, a number of outlets for products in the Bay Area. You know, like I said, we do mostly natural food stores, but certainly you know there's there's other you know small and large grocery stores. There's small and large uh, gourmet food uh, shops. You know, there's you know various crossovers. You know, we sell to uh, to the the local butcher shop uh, here in Berkeley, which you know sells a, one one variety of sauerkraut in in their case alongside their uh, you know their sausages. Um, you know, there's there's endless sort of out, outlets like that. Um, you know, there's endless uh, farmers markets. There's you know. Uh, there's a numerous farmers markets every single day of the week somewhere you know within an hour's drive uh, of the shop and there's uh you know the uh, uh people coming into the shop uh to, to buy products and uh so you know i i think that you know we don't have to look outside of northern california to see uh, you know, sort of an endless horizon of, of expansion uh, available to us. That's awesome. And for people that, you know, want to learn more and, uh, you know, experience some of what you've experienced, I, s I also saw on your website that you, that you, you don't teach classes, but for any chefs that are interested that you do offer staging opportunities. And uh, if you could just, uh, if, 
first elaborate on what a stage is and, and then how it works in your shop. Yeah, I try to remain super flexible with people who have an interest in in doing that. So, you know, we'll have people come, you know, more local people and who usually come for like a day um, and work with us at the shop. But when people come from out of town, which is happening actually um, more and more, people will often stay for, say, a week or, or two weeks or in some cases a whole summer. And, you know, definitely a better learning opportunity. Um, and I think we've had some people who've walked away with a, a lot of knowledge. Um, I try to, I think it, I think the most successful sort of internships we've had are, are when the expectations aren't too high, when people sort of want to come and just observe and get a sense of what we do we get a fair amount of people who, you know, I want to start a business and I'm going to come work with you for a couple of days and learn how to do this. And that doesn't really work so well. Um, so, but if you come with just a wide open eyes and, you know, a desire to work, you will see some things through. It's, it's nice. I think to stay the, the one day work, I don't know how much you really get out of it. I mean, you can watch someone like mix salt into cabbage <laughs> you know, on various YouTube videos, I'm sure. So I'm not sure what you get out of that. I think when you stay long enough to say, see a project through that you worked on, you know, however many weeks ago that was, you start to get a, maybe a little bit of a better sense. Well, in, in regard to, um, YouTube videos of salting, uh, sauerkraut or otherwise, um, do you have any, place that you would recommend people that do have something more to learn, maybe they're not in your area or they're not available to travel anytime soon. Um, any places that you go for added knowledge, information on fermentation? We always point people towards Sandor Katz's books, uh, wild fermentation and, and the art of fermentation, um, in terms of, uh, um, you know, sort of demystifying the, the, uh, the, the the process and encouraging people to um, you know just uh, uh, you know set up on their on their countertops um, and uh, and go for it you know you really you know you really can't find a better primer than uh, than Sandor's books and you know from there it's just about developing uh, intuition just about. It's not just about, it's a lifelong pursuit of developing intuition. Yeah. I think the reason Sandor's books are so great is because he, he's so not rigid. It's not a book of recipes really. Um, it's, it's much more conversational and it's much more, um, I think sort of getting people over that hump of some initial fear that they might have. And, and giving people some guidelines for sure, but then really encouraging them to just make it a part of their, of their, of their lifestyle. It is just another form of say cooking, um, to, to preserve one's food. Definitely. Awesome. And where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? Is your website a good place or anywhere else? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the best place would be our website uh, at uh, uh, culturedpickleshop.com and uh, our blog uh, at uh, uh, wordpress.culturedpickleshop.com. Um, you know, we we don't um, uh, we don't dedicate a, a huge amount of, of time, effort, or energy into maintaining our website. We we kind of put uh, something up that would give a, a, a brief. Uh, overview of, of what it is that we do. Um, I, I think that uh, going forward, you know, uh, you know I, my hope is, is that the, the, the blog is a much more sort of uh, uh, interesting and, and, and dynamic place to, to visit, to, to sort of peek into our world. And all I will second that or, or, uh, back that up because I, I really do feel like the, since you've started the blog, it's, it's great. It's, it, you know, it's, um, free flowing and casual. Or that's kind of how I kind of feel it, but it's got a lot of great information in it. So thank you. Thank 
Thanks. Um, so, and yeah, and thanks for putting that up there. And then I guess in any parting words, where do you see since you've since you've been a part of this whole fermentation uh movement trend change shift for quite a long time do you have any expectations or thoughts on where fermentation will continue in the future hmm. um hopefully in a very sort of decentralized manner i mean i think the the sort of danger when something becomes really popular um, and you st- you're starting to see it more but you know it's it's all about like Danon putting out their like probiotic infused yogurt and then I'm sure there's going to there's probably all sorts of like probiotic cereal bars and, and things tend to get dumbed down a lot um, I'm sure that you'll be able to buy you know kombucha concentrated energy drinks in your local gas station um I and yeah, it will go in that direction somewhat, but I hope that it also really takes roots in the more local sustainable food movement as as well. I I think that you know I think my my hope is that um, that you know it 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 really settles in to just being sort of part and parcel to, uh, our, uh, our, you know, our diets, uh, you know, our, 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 our food sheds. Uh, you know, if you go around the world, you see, you know, that nobody really makes a huge, uh, you know, uh, uh to do about, uh, fermented foods, but fermented foods are everywhere. They are part of, so many people's diets and cultures all over the world and they're they're just a part of the diet like we think of you know the vegetable serving and the protein serving and the grain serving there's the pickles and they they're you know there's there's not a big hullabaloo around it it's it's just what people do and i i think that uh you know as as sort of the 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 glow uh kind of wears off and uh you know and 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 people um you know just start incorporating these things into their daily lives that you know that that is you know really uh what the best that we can hope for awesome and on that note uh thanks for being on the show and well, thank you for having us. Thanks so much. So, in, in anything, um, any of the links to your uh, to the Culture Pickle Shop website and everything else will be in the show notes uh, that can be found at firmup.com slash podcast slash 34. And then uh, for anything Firm Up related, you can find on Twitter at Firm Up or Facebook at Firm Up. And until next time, Firm Up. <laughs>